0: Hello and welcome to Stig Abel's Guide to Reading, a podcast in which I talk about books that mean something to me and to a special guest. It's being made in conjunction with my own book, Things I Learned on the Six Twenty Eight, which is out in November. An account of a year I spent reading books on my commute, remember that concept, and came up with various theories about different types of literature, from crime fiction to Shakespeare to poetry. This week we're going to focus on crime fiction. In my book, I wrote a chapter about three classics, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, Tiger in the Smoke by Marjorie Allingham and Watchmen, the graphic novel by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. My special guest this week is the best-selling author Lucy Foley, whose debut novel The Hunting Party was a bestseller on both sides of the Atlantic, as was the follow up The Guest List. So she knows about successful crime books, to say the very least. Lucy, hello.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: The idea of the podcast is that Lucy's going to name a crime book she loves, and so will I, and we'll talk about them and the genre in general. Sounds simple enough, even for me. Uh, Lucy, before we talk about specific books, uh, what do you think makes a, a a good crime book?
1: Oh, so many things. I mean, I think for me, it's the kind of, this is going to sound very dark, but the sense of fun. Um, you know, it's the it's the puzzle, it's the challenge, it's the game, it's the sort of contract between writer and reader. Um, and I enjoy sort of setting up the puzzle as a writer, I enjoy unpicking it as a reader.
0: Uh, we're going to talk about how Agatha Christie did it when we get, get to her. There's a bit of a, um, if you look at the tradition of crime writing, there's a kind of Anglo-American split. There is the, because there's the golden age of, of crime writing, which I talk a bit about in the book, which is sort of the middle of the 20th century. And there's the kind of very delicate, feline, sort of mainly female, actually, work of Agatha Christie, Marjorie Allingham, people like that. And then the American tradition is much more butch, much more male. You know, this sort of Chandler and Hammett. Do you like both or are you, you more in the English tradition, do you think?
1: I I like both but I think I am more in the English tradition and actually I was making a list of my favourite crime writers and they are almost all exclusively female so I had to sort of add a couple of men on there. Um, Give
0: us your list Lucy, go on, who's on it?
1: Oh it starts with uh, Agatha Christie obviously, Patricia Highsmith, um, yeah. Daphne du Maurier, uh, Ethel Lena White, who I think is a kind of unsung, you know, in our time, um, brilliant of sort of golden age writer. Um, modern Times, Belinda Bauer, Kate Atkinson, Erin Kelly, just to name a few.
0: So there is a kind of, do you think there is a female tradition and uh, does that get neglected, I wonder?
1: I think it's, it has been neglected, but I think... In recent years, women are sort of at the forefront of crime writing, personally. I think you look at um, authors like Sarah Pinburn, Erin Kelly. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we're sort of, we're, we're coming into our own again.
0: <laughs> the tradition was always that women in these books were very often the victims. Is that something that when you're a writer in this tradition, uh, is that something that you're conscious of? That the danger of it always being that the main female character in a, in a crime book is often soon lying in a pool of her own blood?
1: yes absolutely this idea of the sort of beautiful corpse um that was something that i wanted to play with without going to too many spoilers um in both both my books the hunting party and the guest list um you know and sort of turn it on its head a little bit um and sort of play around with that
0: you mentioned daphne demoria i'd never read rebecca before last year when i wrote this book and i was just startled by how how um how beautifully written it was and how exciting it was I was looking at the reviews of it when it came out the TLS which I used to edit was very sniffy about it Um, but do you think it's a crime book at all because some people don't think it is a crime novel it feels like a crime novel to me
1: I think if it were published today I think it would be classed as a sort of psychological thriller you know it's that sort of slow burn gothic it's kind of domestic noir in a way um you could also say horrible term but it's criblet which is this idea of <laughs> uh crime fiction that takes place um you know a, in a house you know a house with a particular ah. atmosphere um so i suppose it sort of ticks all of those boxes but it but it's also something of its own you know in and of itself
0: the the, the character of max uh the man He's so awful, isn't he? There's a yeah. Well, there's pro- his proposal. I was thinking about his marriage proposal. Must be the most charmless marriage proposal in all of fiction. He's, they have breakfast together in this terrible foreign hotel, you know, where they're fleeing from justice. And it says all the while he ate his tangerine, giving me a piece now and then. And then he says, "No, I'm asking you to marry me, you little fool."
1: Oh God, it's just hideous, isn't it? It's horrible. I mean, he's such a kind of. He's all of the sort of worst—I mean, gothic romantic heroes—sort of rolled into one. He's kind of Rochester, but he—he he is also just this horrible kind of patronising older man. Um, and actually, Laurence Olivier is perfect to play him. I think in the in the adaptation,
0: I've never seen the movie. Is that worth seeing?
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. And it's also um, there's a new adaptation coming out. I think this year on Netflix.
0: Should we talk about um, Agatha Christie? Because you, you're before you say which one you've done. It's quite clear that Agatha Christie, I can see the connection to your own writing. Has she always been an important figure to you?
1: Well, yes. I mean, I think I first read Agatha Christie um, as a child, probably a little early. Um, but they really are, you know, those books can be enjoyed just as kind of pure puzzles. You know, I think I didn't quite realise the darkness in them until <laughs> till I came to kind of read them as an adult. Um, because they're just a lot of fun. And, and there is that sort of... Um, You know, not in the pejorative sense, but there is that kind of simplicity to the puzzle, um, you know, that 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 can be enjoyed by a child. Um, And then, you know, really came back to them as an adult, came back to them when I was thinking about writing my first crime book um, and and sort of found all sorts of other things in them, I think.
0: Uh, Which book have you picked for your nomination for a crime book?
1: So I had to pick, and then there were none, because I just think it shows Agatha Christie at the height of her powers, and really the, the kind of murder mystery format, the who done it format, at its absolute sort of zenith.
0: It's one of the best-selling books of all time. Uh, it's a hundred million were sold of this book. We should at least say there is a title that she originally wrote, which contains a racial slur, so it's, it's disappeared now and rightly so. Uh, mm. And. There's not too much racism generally in Agatha Christie. I mean, she was writing at a time where you, there's sort of casual anti-Semitism, there's occasional casual racism, but it's not too bad when you read it now, is it, I don't think?
1: No, I mean, I think there are passages that sort of make you cringe as a modern reader. I can't think of anything specifically, but there have been times when I felt a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I suppose you, you have to try and think of context and the time, but, you know, it's still, there are some attitudes that are, a little bit dodgy, um, but it's not too bad.
0: <laughs> no, well, which is good because it's important when you try and re- reread. I spent quite a lot of time rereading old books, and there's definitely a threshold you have to have now where you can forgive some, but you can't forgive everything. And I think if it gets too much, it, it becomes difficult to read. Definitely. Tell us the setup because there is a connection between this book and both of your novels, really, isn't mm. it? The way this is set up.
1: So, all of these characters have been invited to an isolated island. Um, off the coast of Devon.
0: Devon, I think it's Devon. Devon,
1: it's Devon. Um, And um, none of them really know, well, they've all got their own reason for being invited there. So one of them has been invited as a governess, um, you know, various different sorts of reasons. Um, But actually, as they arrive, they realise that their host is nowhere to be seen. um, And obviously there's something else going on here. And gradually we realise that all of these people have been have escaped conviction in some way for a crime that they have committed in the past. I don't think this is too spoilery because I think we know this fairly early on. Um, and they have been brought to this very sort of desolate place um, for a kind of reckoning. So one by one, um, rather grisly things start to happen to them.
0: Uh, And it's quite and there's no there's no detective in this. This is not a detective novel, is it?
1: No. And I think that's actually I mean, I love Poirot. I love Miss Marple. um, I love Sherlock Holmes. I know you're going to talk about but I actually that was one of the things I particularly loved about this book. I like the fact that there's no sleuth figure. I think it removes the kind of comforting idea that a brilliant mind is sort of going to lay it all out for us um, at the end of the novel. Um, it, it makes it feel much more fraught, I think. Um, and that's something that I wanted to kind of replicate in, in my books.
0: Because uh, there's, a, there's a tone to it. I mean, one of the books I've read and I write about in, in my book is Marjorie Allingham's Tiger in the Smoke. Have you ever read that?
1: I haven't, but having read your book, I now, it's now my, you know, top of my TBR.
0: <laughs> it's so worth reading. But again, there is a detective in it, but really it's all about the tone and the sense of gloom and, uh, and the sense of the atmosphere rather than a, a straightforward uh, detection. And that's probably true of this one as well, isn't it? It's the, it's the setting is so clever in this book.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the isolated setting, this sort of island has spawned so many imitations since, Um, you know, this idea of the boat leaving and not coming back, so sinister. Um, And also removing these sort of entitled, very comfortable characters who literally have got away with murder in some cases, um, from their kind of familiar surroundings, you know, it's kind of nature, red and tooth and claw. Um, I just love that.
0: Is it rereadable once you know who once you know um the the MacGuffin who did it? Do, do you think it's a rereadable book?
1: So difficult to say because as, as an author, absolutely it's rereadable. Um you kind of want to go back through and unpick how she done it, as it were. Uh the plotting is yeah. absolutely flawless. There's no fat on it whatsoever. Um she balances this sort of large cast, multiple backstories, you know, so deftly. Um And yet there's this wonderful momentum to the plot. Um, As as an author, I think I'm by nature a waffler. Um, I want to give you sort of lots of description and um, I want to tell you all about the location, all about my characters. But reading Christian, in particular, this book sort of pulls me back to the importance of of plot, you know, that backbone that kind of runs through the story that's so important. Um,
0: And it seems actually to someone who's not a writer, the hardest bit. I read that, I don't know how true this is, that Agatha Christie wrote a large chunk of the plot and then almost picked the unlikeliest character to be uh, the murderer. Um, but that that doesn't feel like she could have done that with this one. This was set up right from the beginning, is, don't you think?
1: I, I think it must be. But I actually lo- I love that that is supposedly something about her writing um, style because that's something that I did with both both of my books. Or rather, did you? I, well, I didn't necessarily know from the very outset who was going to be the murderer or or rather with the first book The Hunting Party um I had an idea um with the guest list I had someone else completely as the murderer and then it changed about a third of the way into writing I changed completely my ideas about who it should be.
0: Oh my God. Was that terrifying? Did you think, oh no, I've screwed this up?
1: No, it was actually, I think it was actually really exciting because I thought (laughs) if I haven't seen this coming, then um, hopefully the reader won't have. But I also think, you know, it's so important to to plot um, as a writer, or it's so important to plot as a crime writer, I think, because otherwise you end up with a big old mess. But I also think it's really important to leave Space in your plotting for those sort of things that come to you from left field, you know. Those because that's such an exciting thing to happen as an author, I think. Yeah.
0: That's so interesting because when I spoke to, to Lee Child, he writes the Jack Reacher books. He's just stopped writing them now, mm. but when he writes them, he has no plan whatsoever. He has no he has no idea what's going to happen. He sort of begins with a scenario and just writes for five months, and by the end of it, he's written a story.
1: Oh, I mean, he's um, just incredible, and, and yeah, and the fact that he's just written it all in five months, and then for the rest of the year, he sort of. Goes on holiday or something. It's just yep. so enviable.
0: <laughs> How long does it take you to write your books?
1: I think probably actually I probably do write quite quickly. So I think probably the first draft, um, five six months, and then a lot of kind of undoing all the problems that I've created for myself in the first draft, which probably takes longer than the writing of the first draft itself.
0: Uh, so you have to be a good editor. You have to be a good editor.
1: Well, I have to be a good editor, and I think also. I have a really good editor. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was actually I was a fiction editor before I turned to writing. Um, so ah, yeah, so. yeah, bit of a poacher turned gamekeeper. Um, but it it doesn't necessarily help you edit your own work. I think it just gives you an understanding of the importance of a really good editor and their work.
0: So the things in in your genre, there are people have expectations of it, and we're uh, in the golden age of detective fiction, which is in the sort of twenties to the sixties. People wrote rules how to write crime mm. books do you want to hear a, do you want to hear a couple of rules see if you agree with them
1: definitely yeah
0: okay so this is the, the novelist ss van dyne this is in 1928 here's a couple of rules for you there must be no love interest in the story to introduce amour is to clutter up a purely intellectual experience with irrelevant sentiment lucy foley true or false
1: False, absolutely false. Um, I mean, I just love a bit of a, I, I love a kind of romance thread in a um, unashamedly in any book, um, but especially in crime. I think it's a nice, it's a nice kind of balance. You know, it brings some levity. I also think that the murder mystery format is a kind of inherently sort of sexy format. Um, I'm just going to lay that down because I think you've got all these sort of characters gathered together in one place. You know, there's going to be enormous sexual tension, and I had a lot of fun playing with that in the hunting party and the guest list.
0: <laughs> i hope that you know, i wonder if that's true of sherlock holmes and, and dr watson we'll come to that maybe, well, maybe, that's, maybe a, yeah. <laughs> that's a relationship that was waiting for its moment okay another rule for you a detective novel should contain no descriptive passages no literary dallying with side issues no subtly worked out character analyses no atmospheric preoccupations
1: I mean, obviously totally false, but I do wonder whether there's a difference between the expectations of a a modern reader and perhaps a reader at the time. Um, I don't know. I think we expect a lot more description. I may be wrong in this, but I think a lot more kind of psychological insight. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is. That's probably, I could probably speak for half an hour on that. Yeah, that's interesting. But that's something that I love to do in my books and I love to... You know, I want the location to feel like a character in itself um, in in my novels,
0: which is true. Also, it's very true of Rebecca, mm, for example.
1: Absolutely,
0: Ma- Mandley, one of the most famous places in the whole of the literary canon, you'd argue, in that sense of a sort of a garden of Eden run wild and the creepiness of it. I mean, I suppose a creepy location. Get when we talk about Sherlock Holmes, you know, Baskerville Hall in the Hand of the Baskervilles is a and the moors and and sort of Sherlock Holmes tramping around the moors and living in one of those old Neanderthal. Um, building sort of stone structures that he lives in the sense of the sense of atmosphere is I think that's completely right that you know, Chandler called Sherlock Holmes mostly an attitude yes. and the idea of it being a sort of atmosphere is is important isn't it
1: absolutely I think so yeah
0: <laughs> the detective must not himself commit the crime
1: <gasps> yes I mean fascinating rule and one that uh, not giving away any spoilers, but the Agatha Christie obviously Indeed. broke herself. Um, maybe gets away on the technicality. Um, but I think you know rules are there to be broken, and that is one of the things actually that I love about Agatha Christie. I think she was a rule breaker. She broke the rules. There's another rule I don't know if you're going to mention it, but she broke it in the murder of Roger Ackroyd, um, an endless night. Uh, not going to go into what that rule is because that would obviously give give the game away. But um, yeah, I, I think I think she had the Confidence to break rules, and I think that's what sets her apart from from some of
0: her ilk. That rule that rule came from Ronald Knox, who's also a Catholic priest. But he this is he gave ten commandments, and one of his ten commandments, which I think you'll definitely not agree with: no Chinaman must figure in the story. So bizarre. Which possibly tells you more about the, which tells you more about the, the the period than than anything else. There is this idea, Lucy, that uh, and you see this in writing about it. Auden wrote a lot about detective fiction. So did Elliot. They both loved it, but they almost felt that they were a bit ashamed of it. Auden said it was like an addiction, like tobacco or alcohol. Uh, and Elliot sort of, he loved detective fiction, but he almost felt like it was a guilty pleasure. Do you think there's still a bit of that, that we, you know, we all pretend to be reading Boost, but we're we're reading The Hunting Party between the covers?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think so. And, and you know, I did feel uh, at the beginning, I always had to be kind of slightly apologetic about what oh, I write. I write crime fiction. I write murder mysteries, you know, so I don't know, sort of nudge and a wink, Um but I think, I think as, as a crime writing community, I think crime writers have a lot of fun with that idea. And it's sort of, in a way, it's kind of brought us all together more. Um, you know, there's this wonderful sort of crime writing community that's very supportive of itself. But I definitely think there is still, still an element of that. But then you look at a writer like Belinda Bauer, who was nominated for the Booker. You know, the richness of kind of characterization in her book Snap uh, and just the, just the writing itself, you know, is utterly brilliant.
0: Do you know what I hate? I hate literary middle-brow novels. Mm. I, think, I, I, I think, you you know, the, the thing I like most about genre writing is that it, it does make plots very, very important. Mm. And I think you can make a case that you should read genre novels or you should read classics. Mm. It's that slightly effortful, oh, yeah. overpraised middle-brow that I think, why bother? Why bother reading that? And I think very good crime fiction can easily be elevated to, to an art because it gives you both quality writing and the sort of jolt of excitement as Absolutely.
1: well. I think one of the things I love about it is there is this sort of unabashed love of storytelling, um, which is perhaps slightly sort of uncool, unfashionable. Um, you know, I'm going to tell, you know, if you think of the kind of classic old mage, uh murder mystery, you'd have something like, I'm going to tell you about this crazy thing that happened at this particular time and, and set off. Um, and I love that. I think there's something wonderful in that.
0: Um, Agatha Christie, just so we're clear, as the best-selling novelist of all time, probably until J.K. Rowling overtakes her at some point. She sold two billion copies of her books, <laughs> translated 103 uh, languages. One little fact that I don't know if people are aware of, did you know this, that her husband was suspected of murdering her? Do you know about
1: this? Yes, yes, the, the, her famous disappearance, which is her only kind of unsolved mystery, really.
0: She disappears and she ends up uh, in a Harrogate hotel under an assumed name.
1: Mm. And no one really knows why she disappeared. I think that's the fascinating thing about it. No one knows what caused this. I
0: lo- and that's a, a, a genuine mystery. And that's the opposite of her books, isn't it? Because one of the things that I think we all enjoy about them, particularly as the world gets ever messier, the with joy of a crime book is the idea of resolution, isn't it? The idea of the idea of there being an answer to it. And that's that's why I think I can reread them as well as read them, is that I just take pleasure in the neatness in the end that you can put aside the messiness of the world and you get something which does have a resolution.
1: Oh, absolutely! I think you know you exist within the novel in this in this world of complete moral certainty, um, and that's very much the case. In and then there were none um, by the end. You know, it's this sense of justice being done. You know, writing the flaws in the justice system, you, you could say, um, which I think was there was this great anxiety about at the time and and, and probably in our own time. Um, really interestingly, Sarah Phelps, who has. Um, uh, pen the wonderful adaptations um, of the, the recent Agatha Christie adaptations. There's, I don't know if you know. There's, there's this Easter egg in all of her adaptations. So there's this painting, um, the Lamb of God, ah. uh, of Francesco de So I don't know if I'm going to pronounce that right. Agnes Day, um, and it's this trust lamb. And she says it, it's this idea of this sort of sacrificial lamb. It has no choice, no kind of agency. Um, and she said that sort of crystallized for her in a way, a kind of Christie trope, which is that the characters don't actually really have any free will. Um, something yeah. in their past has sort of caught up with them and they're now on the path of perdition and they're waiting for their fate. And actually, that's probably not very reassuring. That's actually pretty dark. But I think it sort of plays into that whole idea of kind of moral certainty and, and crimes will be punished. You know, you will you will be made to answer for past sins.
0: That's such an interesting point. That And, and let's talk about my, my, my choice then, because the, the, this is a world of certainty you get with, with Sherlock Holmes. What's interesting, I thought about this, was that in many ways, the idea of the brilliant troubled detective was invented at the end of the 19th century and really never improved upon. So the golden age of detective fiction, which then followed throughout the 20th century, ultimately, has anyone ever done better in terms of the brilliant detective than Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. It's amazing how that was written, however long, 120 years ago, and still stands to many people as as the perfection of the form.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's just the most fascinating character, isn't he? He's sort of, there's something wonderfully flawed, and he's incredibly flawed as a character, slightly inhuman, which sort of only adds to his appeal, um, and just... Kind of brilliantly bohemian at the same time.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly. But the thing I think I, I, that's exactly right. But then you have Doctor Watson who writes the stories. I mean, if anyone's not read Sherlock Holmes, you should stop listening to this. Go and buy the complete works of, of Sherlock Holmes, and it will just give you just such a tremendous amount of pleasure. Um, I, I think. But they're written in the narrative. They're written by Doctor Watson, his sort of slightly bumbling, but loyal friend, and they live together. In Baker Street for a large chunks of although some Watson goes off and gets married at, at one point, and they sit around smoking and eating and talking. And it's just it's the greatest buddy fiction, I think, of all time, as well as being the greatest detective fiction of all time. Shall I shall I read a little bit? There's there's one moment in it which I just think I love because we'll talk about the intellectual nature of it, which is important. But these two men being friends, there's a moment where where Watson gets bashed on the head and Sherlock Holmes thinks he's died and he leaps to him and this is what Watson says, it was worth many wounds to know the depth of loyalty and love which lay behind the cold mask. The clear hard eyes were dimmed for a moment and the firm lips were shaking for the one and only time I caught a glimpse of a great heart as well as of a great brain. All my years of humble but single-minded service culminated in that moment of revelation and there's something moving there, don't you think? In in this relationship, as well as the sort of brilliance of it all.
1: Absolutely, there is love in that passage, I would say.
0: <laughs> and it's so well written. I mean, that's I think all the books that we might ever talk about, Lucy, that we admire. You can boil it down in the end to the ability to control a sentence, probably, can't you?
1: Absolutely, I think so. Yeah.
0: But so, how intellectual does the intellectual puzzle? Does that interest you? Because the show home stories—they're all short stories, apart from four novels. Um, and there's the the sort of cleverness of of the solution. How puzzly do you think these books that you want to write? Um, do you think they need to be? And and do you take a bit of that from from Sherlock Holmes?
1: Definitely take a bit a bit of it from Sherlock Holmes. But um, oh, for me, it's probably more about the sort of psychology of it, the characters, why they do. So, so for me, my books are as much a, a kind of why done it as a who done it or a how done it. Yeah. Um, I think. Um, And perhaps that's kind of a a more modern sensibility. I don't know. But I but I love the puzzle element. I think that's so satisfying. The game, the game um, is just is just so enjoyable, I think.
0: Is that difficult to write? Because it strikes me as someone who's not written a a crime book that making something that's that works. So when you get to the end of it, you're not constantly asking questions or say, well, that, that didn't make any sense. Is that a hard thing to do?
1: It is hard. I think it's incredibly satisfying um, as a writer to sort of plot that out. And, you know, it's the sort of puzzle solving element that you have to do almost before you start writing. And then, of course, as soon as you start writing, you realise <laughs> that things wouldn't work in the way you have planned them and you have to change. And that can be immensely frustrating, but incredibly satisfying when you find the solution, I think. But, of course, to you as the writer you're constantly thinking about what things look like to the reader um, because you've lost your innocence from the very beginning. So I think it's, it's that constant sort of weighing things on the scale thinking about how much you've sort of given the reader so that they could solve the puzzle with with all the clues sort of at their disposal. But at the same time, they're not going to solve it too early. Um, yeah. So I think that that's there's a constant kind of balance between the two. Uh,
0: now, before we go, Lucy, um, the way my book works is um, I write a chapter about a genre. So I read it for a month and, and I, this was crime fiction. And then I recommend sort of 20-odd books in the genre so people could spend a whole year reading uh crime fiction. So I've got sort of 20 odd. but should we focus on three books we might recommend? Do you have could you do that recommend three crime novels really from any any period it doesn't and we'll, we'll take yours as read. Uh we'll take The Hunting Party and, and The Guest List as 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 read. <laughs> three more novels and I'll come up with three as well.
1: Sure. So the first one I'd like to mention, um, would be Ethelina White. Um, it's either called The Wheel Spins or The Lady Vanishes because it was made into a film of the same name, The Lady Vanishes by uh, Hitchcock. And I think it was the first film that really brought him recognition oh. as a director. Um, and it's just brilliant. It's in a way it is the original girl on the train. Um, It's the protagonist is Iris, who has been sort of holidaying with friends uh, in a remote corner of Europe. And she's accused of sleeping with one of their husbands. So they all sort of get the train first and then she gets one on her own (laughs) because she's sort of been left behind. Um, And she meets this English woman on the train as they're sort of speeding across Europe and they kind of get chatting. And then Iris has had a bit of sunstroke and she falls asleep, wakes up, and this woman has disappeared. And everyone else on the train insists that she never existed um, and she has to prove that she did. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's such a page turner.
0: Is that sort of 30s, 40s?
1: 1930s, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's very, it's got all the things I love about that sort of golden age. You know, it's sort of extremely glamorous. You know, you've got this train. Train is always the most kind of glamorous form of travel, I think. Um,
0: Yeah, I I talk about that in my book. You know, if you think of the, the importance of the train to fiction, uh, Anna Karenina is a a kind of uh, uh, an obvious one, Murder on the Orient Express, Agatha Christie, you know, it's a glamorous place because it's both small, but it changes all the time. So it feels like almost the perfect fictional location, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just wonderful because you learn a lot about the sort of sexual mores of the time as well, you know, there's bed hopping that goes on at the beginning. I wouldn't have thought that was something that necessarily happened in the 30s or people wrote about but it's just it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant i really recommend
0: two more than two more if you've got them
1: linda bowers snap uh, i mentioned that before um but i just think um it's a wonderful kind of refutation of the idea that crime fiction is all about plot at the expense of character you know it's a it's got a wonderful puzzle at its heart um uh and so it really delivers on that front but it's also got such rich characterization and in that sense it it is kind of a character driven novel um and it taught me so much as a crime writer lovely the third one i mean it's it's probably an obvious one but i think it has to be uh the talent of mr ripley by patricia highsmith i think um it's just it's it's wonderful so many levels but um i love the fact that she breaks the rules in oh god this is really spoilery though in the talent of mr ripley because i was going to say that Oh, no, I think it's okay.
0: God. I think it's okay because you're going to say that no one gets caught at the end, aren't you?
1: No one gets caught at the end, and I just and I just love that. And I also love the fact that in that I think the first adaptation, the French adaptation, Plain Soleil, they they literally they couldn't handle that, you know, they had to have justice being served at the end. Um, and apparently, she loved the adaptation apart from that. Um, but I just think you know, it, it, it's, it's a book in which you're kind of really rooting for this sort of anti hero because you. He's he's this sort of outsider, he's almost you're almost in the posi- his position as the yeah. reader, you know, kind of looking in on this very kind of rarefied world. Um and, and you are totally on his side. Um and I just I, I just love her writing as well. I um found her book Plotting and Writing Suspense Fiction. This is a non-fiction book, but I'm also gonna kind of recommend. Um Plotting and Writing Suspense Fiction was the most helpful book I could possibly have read for, for writing crime fiction myself that's
0: yeah. a that's a good t- uh, you, you mentioned this. i love a amor- amorality because there mm, some, me too. sometimes you get a bit too much morality in this genre so if i name a couple there's a book called the killer inside me from 1915 yes. jim thompson where you're really seeing it through the eyes of a just one of the most evil people possibly on the pages of literature um and there is this question of amorality there where you half start rooting for someone even if they're abysmal because in crime fiction in some ways the forces of law, they don't always seem that attractive, do they? And there's something attractive about a baddie as well.
1: No. And actually, have you read um, Carolyn kepnis's You at all? I
0: have. I have. Yes.
1: Because, I mean, in a way, that's a sort of modern retelling or in- certainly inspired by the talents of Mr. Ripley, isn't it? Because, you know, you really end up rooting for Joe, even though he is psychopathic yeah. Um the other characters are just so awful um, and you sort of really see them through his eyes and, and so you do sort of end up um, really uncomfortably I think on his side
0: um, My favourite book possibly of all time which I've read 20 or 30 times is uh, American Tabloid by James Elroy which is a story of gangsters and criminals in 1950s America leading up to the 60s and the assassination of JFK and everyone in it is appalling <laughs> But you kind of root for them. Have you ever read it?
1: No, I haven't. But I've literally just written it down. Yeah,
0: I, honestly, it's because it's it's very violent. He wrote James Arrow wrote, wrote L.A. Confidential and a load of of great genre of novels. Of course, yeah. But this is one way. It's his style is very it's it's very staccato. It's very stylized, and you'll either hate it or you'll love it. But it's about it's about gangsters and and rogue FBI agents and rogue CIA people all heading off into the election of JFK and it culminates in the murder of JFK and who did it and why That's they did it. Read Tiger in the Smoke and, and American Tabloid. That's what I would, from this, and I'm going to read the books you've suggested. Maybe the other one, you mentioned non-fiction. Should we talk about briefly Truman Capote in Cold Blood?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: As a, a it's a true story of, of the murders of uh, the Clutter family, I think they are called. It's a great piece of non-fiction crime writing. And of course it was the, did you know the assistant on that book was Harper Lee?
1: Yes, of course. Yes. And it was
0: basically Harper Lee was trying to write to kill a mockingbird and no one were, and it hadn't finished it and she was bored and she knew she had something, but it hadn't been published yet. So she goes off with Truman Capote to research in cold blood and she provides 2000 pages of research for him. And he's the big star and she's the assistant. And then a couple of years later, she becomes one of the best selling authors of all time.
1: Yes. And I always slightly wonder how he felt about that. I mean, there's, um, there's the brilliant, I thought brilliant film, Capote with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. And you just see the, the ego of the guy. and You sort of see how he treats her. And you just, you, you wonder how he would have felt with her going off to find all that success of her own.
0: You know, he was always trying to write a masterpiece. Uh, for the rest of his life. And there were lots of rumours about Mm -hmm. the books that he'd he'd written and he wrote pages and pages and uh, never managed it. One of the things that kind of crops up a bit in my book is these people who write one brilliant book and then spend the rest of their life not writing another one.
1: And sort of have it hanging around their necks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And So I guess the question is, as a writer, Lucy, would you rather write one timeless classic that is regarded as something that will be remembered forever but never write anything else or write a series, prolong lots of great books that people love?
1: Oh, definitely the latter, because i like, you drive yourself completely potty, I think. Um, but also, I probably don't have it in me to write, you know, this one great literary creation. So so I'm sort of absolved from that.
0: <laughs> Lucy, do not say that. We we could go on talking about books um, for forever, I, I suspect. Uh, thank you so much for... Um, uh, for jo- for joining me today, what a great pleasure to talk to you. And people should read your books. You've you've done two out, you know.
1: Yes, two, and I'm sort of first draft stage with the third one at the moment. I would say, um so we'll see. <laughs>
0: and do you know who did it?
1: I do know who did it, but it changed. It changed. Did it halfway through writing? Yeah, yeah. Very excited about it. <laughs>
0: well, I look forward to. It. Uh, thank you so much for joining me to talk about uh, crime fiction today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.